We are in the second week of a series called Eyewitness. And of course, of course, yeah, we do it together. We're all in this together. Like I love to say, teamwork makes the team work. We are in a series called Eyewitness. And in Eyewitness, of course, it's, it's a play on words. It's I, the letter I, witness. But an I-E-Y-E witness is someone who shares what they've seen or what they've experienced personally. And that's what we want to be as Christians when it comes to Christ. Uh, but when I hear the word witness, a lot of times I think about the old Nike marketing campaign featuring one LeBron James. You guys remember that? We are all witnesses. We're supposed to be witnesses of the brilliance of LeBron James. It's a dope photo. In Cleveland, they used to have this massive banger, banner of him uh, doing the chalk toss and spreading his arms out. And they took it down and they burned it when he went to Miami. He went to the Miami Heat and they gave the banner some heat. But of course, uh, LeBron's always been a polarizing player. As, as great as he's been, most people have them on their NBA Mount Rushmore at this point. Some people love him. Some people don't. So not everyone wants to be a witness for LeBron James. But the fact that we're here at church on a Sunday morning means that most of us want to be witnesses for Jesus. You know, we hear things uh, about being a witness and we get excited. We want to say that I was once lost and now I've been found. I was blind, but now I see. And this is what Jesus has done for me. Bars. The word starts with B. That's all I got at this point. Too old, too many kids, I can't rap anymore. Anyway, we want to be witnesses for Jesus. So we get excited when we hear scriptures like Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which is really the thesis statement for the entire book of Acts. It summarizes what it's all about. And here's what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, how many of you in faith want that scripture, that verse to apply to you? Right? Cool, like four of us. We're, we're going to go and change the world together, guys. Jesus had 12. Now, when we hear these verses, we get excited. And in the Every Nation family, when we talk about witnessing, we actually use the word engage. We engage people. We engage culture. We engage communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We engage them with invitations to church. We, sh we share our stories. Engage is a personal word. Now, while we want to engage people, we might want to be witnesses, there are actually barriers to being a witness. And after spending a few years in ministry, I've noticed that one of the biggest barriers that we need to overcome in order to be a witness for Jesus is the barrier of busyness. Sometimes we're so busy that we can't find the time to be a witness for Jesus, even if we want to do it. Even if we say amen at church on Sunday, even if we share the occasional Instagram story or Facebook post that says, I bet you won't share this, but Jesus shared his love with you. And you click share on the post, but when it comes time to share Jesus on a personal level, it's hard to do it. And it's not that we don't want to do it. It's that we can't find the time. So how can we be effective, busy witnesses? That's what we're going to talk about today. But we need God's help with that. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you have included us in your mission to save the world and redeem creation. Lord, we get to stand in the gap on the scale of eternity, participating in what you're trying to do, rescuing people in a way that lasts forever. Help us, God, to find our place in each season of our lives 
and to witness in the way you've called us to. Empower us, Lord, to go further than we can, and empower us now to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think the majority of us would say that we want to be witnesses for God, but we're busy. We are busy. It's a fact of life, and we're going to look at one of the Apostle Paul's journeys in the book of Acts to see this play out in Scripture. Now, at first, when we talk about the Apostle Paul in Acts, it sounds very different. How could that guy be as busy as us? Paul did not have one of these. He did not have a cell phone. Paul did not have a wife. Paul did not have a family. What does this guy know about busyness? And if that weren't enough, it's literally his job, his life, to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a very different situation. But if we look at what he was facing, we can at the very least understand and empathize with what he probably felt. Because that was my impression of this passage. And as I read about what the Apostle Paul was going through, I began to see him feeling the way that I felt, if not doing the things that I did. So let's look at this together. This is Acts chapter 17. I'm going to jump around a bit to summarize what's going on in this chapter. So we're going to read verse 1, verses 10, uh, verse 10, then verses 13 to 15. Here we go. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, this is not Apollonia with prince, this is a Greek city, uh, they came to Thessalonica where they, there was a synagogue of the Jews. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They experienced persecution. People were trying to kill him. Uh, they sent him away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. But when the, Jew, the, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea too, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Verse 14. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but a lot of times when I read the Bible and I hear about these ancient cities, it's easy to get lost and lose perspective of what that looked like and felt like. Uh, thankfully, these cities actually still exist. So, courtesy of Google Earth, this is what the Apostle Paul's journey would have looked like. You can see modern spelling. Amphipolis is actually spelled the same way. Uh, Apollonia would have been a little bit down. That second dot up there is Thessalonica. Um, Thessaloniki is how they spell it today. Varia is Beria. And all the way down there is Athens. That's what the Apostle Paul's journey would have looked like in one chapter. Now, of course, this is using modern roads. They didn't have modern roads or vehicles. The first 100 to 150 miles of that journey would have been on foot. And it would have been on foot while people are chasing them, trying to kill them. So I don't know about you guys, but I think if I were in that situation, I'd probably be in a hurry and feel a little bit rushed. And things might be a little bit hectic. And then past all of this, once he finally gets kicked out of Beria too, they jump on a boat. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm on a boat. So they're on a boat at this point. I don't know if Paul had seasickness or not. I'm just going to believe by the grace of God he had none. And they went all the way down the coast to Athens for a total of about 420 to 450 miles. And this is what the Apostle Paul was doing. The pace is fast, even frenetic, energetic, rushed. And that's exactly how our lives feel. A lot of our kids went back to school this week. 
So we've added that back to our daily routine. And even if you haven't been bringing kids to school, you have been probably dealing with the extra cars along the route of your daily commute. So we drop them off to school, we pick them up, or we're going to work and we're coming back. A lot of us are going to our life groups during the week. We come to church on Sunday. We try to have a life and try to have hobbies if there's time for that. And on top of all of this, we have to drive from one place to another. So the activities take time and the travel takes time. We're busy. Busy, busy bees. We live this frenetic pace just like the Apostle Paul. And we have very little time left to engage people for God. Very little time for outreach activities, if any at all. But what we need to realize in the midst of all of this activity and in all of this busyness is that activity doesn't necessarily mean productivity. And we can see this in the life of the Apostle Paul too. So let's go back to Acts 17. And now I want to focus at the end. So he is telling people about Jesus, and he's running from one place to another. He goes from Thessalonica to Berea, and people are chasing him. Then he jumps on the boat, and he goes to sea, finds himself in Athens. And now there's a little bit of a breather. So Paul begins walking through Athens, which at the time, if you're familiar with history, it's probably the intellectual capital of the world. And everywhere he walks, his heart is grieved because he sees idols everywhere. One of the idols is dedicated to the unknown God. Paul sees it and says, that's it. That's the inspiration. So Paul begins to share Jesus with people across Athens. Eventually, some of the elite influencers of the city find out that Paul is preaching some foreign ideas. So they grab Paul and they bring him to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus is probably the most powerful institution in Athens. So the most powerful and influential institution at the most influential city in the world. This would be like if Paul were brought to, break, to preach the gospel at Harvard or Capitol Hill or the White House. This is a very, very big deal. And I think people back then and people now would look at this moment in Paul's journey and think, that's it. That's what made it worth it. All the persecution, all the busyness, all of the activity, that's when it comes together. This is the high point. God is glorified. Hallelujah, amen. Let's go back. See you next Sunday. But if we read through the passage, then it's truly a beautiful sermon. It's, a lot of people have different names for it. The, Mars, the Mars Hill Discourse is one thing that it's called. It's instructive to preachers today on how to engage people, esteem people, while still presenting the gospel. Incredible. It's, it's a blueprint, really. In spite of all this, in spite of the setting and how important it is, in spite of the beauty of the sermon, the results are not what we would probably expect. So let's read it. This is Acts chapter 17, verses 32 to 34. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, he will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among them were also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. <clears throat> so praise God, there was an impact. But as we read the other stuff, some people mocked. Some people said, we'll decide on that later. Hey, let's talk again. These are mixed results at best. Now, in contrast to the rest of Paul's missionary journeys, not exactly what they were looking for. For example, 
this passage names Dionysius and Damaris. It's the only time in the Bible we ever hear their names. We don't hear from them again. Dionysius might have become the leader of the church in Athens. We can't be sure. But even if he was the leader of the church in Athens, have we ever heard of the Athenian church? Now we can read from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But have you ever read the book of Athenians? Have you read the letter to the Athenian church, Paul, an apostle of God? To the Athenian church. No, it doesn't exist. And if it's in your Bible, please throw that one away. We'll help you find another one. We don't hear from them again. It's mixed results. So at the end of all this activity, we don't find much productivity. At the end of all of Paul's busyness, we don't see how much exactly he's built. He was very busy, but he didn't necessarily build something. And that can happen to a lot of us. Our lives can feel like that. My life can feel like this, and I'm a pastor. I'm literally a professional Christian. And if I'm not being intentional with my time, then my time can go in the wrong direction. Because in ministry, there's always a new class to write. There's always a new program to tweak. There's always another time we can practice our message or scripture we can memorize. And if we aren't careful, Pastor Roland can attest to this. I see him smiling and nodding. So I feel less like a sinner. But if we aren't careful, all of our time can slowly drift and we're building programs and not people. It's backwards. It happens. And I think we need to take an honest look at our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit and maybe with the help of our life groups to see where our lives are very busy but not necessarily building something. Because this can be the case in our homes and with our families. And it can be the case at work. And it can be the case in the church. We want our busyness to build something. We want our activity to translate to productivity. So if we want to be effective witnesses for Jesus, even if we're busy, then one way we can start is by investing the time that we have in things that produce the greatest returns. We want to invest our time. This is obviously a financial um, concept. Some of you know my college degrees in finance, so let me just nerd out a little bit. I don't get to use this very often. I didn't need a finance degree to become a minister. So obviously, uh, an investment is a financial deposit, it's a purchase, it's a short-term sacrifice with the intention of producing a financial return at some point. Um, I was blessed by God after the whole accident. We got the insurance payout. We were able to buy a car this past week. Thank you, All Jay. Go see All Jay for your car buying needs, especially if you're buying an Audi. I did not buy an Audi. I bought a Toyota from Audi. Thank you, all, Jay. <laughs> but see him anyway. Now, that's not an investment because a car typically doesn't produce a financial return. An investment produces a return, and it's designed to be that way. But we can invest our money. One of the simplest investments that we're all familiar with is putting our money in a savings account. Because when we put our money in a savings account, we earn interest on that money. Now, it's not a lot of interest, which means it's not interesting. But we'll stick with the example. 
Because you give your money at a bank, for the most part, we don't touch it in a savings account. That's the sacrifice part, that's the deposit part. A lot of savings accounts now will have a minimum threshold of what can be in the account. And because we put our money down at the bank, they have access to our funds and they invest it to produce more profit for the bank. That's where the majority of banks' monies come from. But because they're doing that with our money, this is all federally regulated and such, they give us an interest percentage in return on top of our deposit. So let's imagine for a moment that there are three banks, Bank A, B, and C. Bank A gives us a 0.01 interest rate on our savings account. It's typical, it's normal now, right? Very generous. So if you deposit $1,000, you get, what, a dollar? What does that work out to? Oh gosh, you get 10 cents. Yeah, sounds pretty accurate. Now, Bank B is very generous. Bank B gives you 1% on your return. Doesn't that sound extremely appealing? So if you deposit $1,000, you will get $10 back. That's basically the best you can hope for. That's those high-interest-bearing online accounts. Now, for the sake of the example, let's say there's a Bank C. And Bank C gives you 10% of your deposit. This doesn't even exist. But if it did, the responsible thing to do would be to withdraw every spare dollar you can and go deposit it at Bank C. Because it gives us the greatest rate of return. Simple choice. We invest our money where the return is the greatest. Money is not the only thing we can invest. We can also invest our time. Psalm chapter 90, it's uh, written by Moses, the only psalm written by Moses. Here's what it says in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days. Invest our time. And if we want to invest our time as busy witnesses for God, then the first place we should start that consistently produces the highest return is with relationships. Jesus Christ began with relationships. Don't get me wrong. Jesus had huge moments. You might have read him feeding 5,000 or feeding 4,000. Those numbers only count the men. There were women, probably in even amount. And there were children, at least in even amount. So when we see that Jesus fed 4,000 people, 5,000 people, we're really reading 10 to 20,000. Jesus had these big moments, and there is a place for them. But Jesus didn't spend the majority of his time in front of 10,000 people. Jesus spent the majority of his time in front of 12. Jesus spent the majority of his limited three years on earth with 12 disciples, investing in them. Peter, James, and John were leaders among the 12, and Peter spent, or Jesus spent even more time with them. Jesus Christ himself who is God, in case we forgot? He started with relationships. So as we turn the page now to Acts chapter 18, we also see the Apostle Paul beginning with relationships. And he chooses to invest in a relationship with a couple who became his friends. This is Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, 
a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul makes friends with this couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And that passage said that he found a Jew. The word found in English and in Greek implies that he was intentionally searching for someone to connect with. So he finds Aquila. He finds that they have commonalities. They're both Jews. They share this trade. And as a result, because he found someone to connect with, he stayed with them. Now, as I'm reading this passage and researching, I discovered something that I didn't know before. Um, when Paul stayed with them, that word stay is the exact same word that the Greek uses in John chapter 15 when Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. So in the way that we abide in God, we're actually seeing through the example of the Apostle Paul here, we also abide with people. So in Paul's case, he lives with them and starts to work with them. Now we're busy witnesses. We don't necessarily have to go live with the people we're trying to engage for Christ. I don't know if my family would appreciate that. But we should look for opportunities to be a part of their lives. We should be like Ariel, the little mermaid. Because she wishes she could be part of your world. And as we're thinking about being a part of someone's world, we can think about it as salt. Salt. Uh, Pastor Billy Lyle was here preaching two weeks ago, and he came up with this acronym to think about our relationships in the context of engaging people, in the context of evangelism and outreach, from a relational perspective. So the acronym is SALT, S-A-L-T-P. And uh, we'll talk about the P. <clears throat> so S stands for start a conversation with the intent of building a relationship. Now we can start a conversation just to be polite, just because it's a social obligation. But we're talking about starting a conversation with the intent of really connecting with someone and wanting to get to know them. A lot of research, researchers say now that it takes 57 hours of time with someone before you can truly call them your friend. Now, that's obviously a lot of time, so we want to be strategic about that time. We can find that time doing things that we would normally be doing anyway, but we'll talk more about that. We want to start a conversation that leads to a connection. And as we're starting this conversation, we start to ask questions. As we maintain a friendship, we can ask questions and we can genuinely care about somebody's response. I remember I was uh, still working at ProSide Church in Hawaii and I walked outside, I saw a family member, and I said, hey, how are you doing? She said, good, and she kept walking. And something prompted me in that moment I said, I stopped. I said, hey, hold on. How are you really doing? And she goes, <laughs> and she just breaks down in the parking lot. I'm like, oh, no. What do we do now? So thankfully, I'm on the pastoral staff at this point, and I'm, I have an office. So I bring her in the office. I'm like, oh, my gosh. People are going to think I yelled at you. Let's go talk. And we talked for an hour. I asked, in, I asked a question, and by the help of the Holy Spirit, I cared enough about the response that she just unpacks her life. That's actually what we want. We don't want, hey, how are you doing? See ya. Hey, what's up? See ya. How are you doing? Tell me about your family. 
what brings you joy in this season of your life? What fills your soul? What's the biggest struggle you're facing right now? Ask questions and care about the response. And as we ask questions and they start to respond, we want to listen. We want to really, really listen. And the goal here is to help people feel felt and help people feel like they're known and still loved. The goal is not to immediately give advice. And the goal is not to listen just so we can find some advice to give. And really, when we listen to people and they feel like they belong to us because we listen to them, that's when people start to open up their lives to listen to our advice. So we listen with our body language. We attend to them. We try not to look at their phones. If you're worried about a deadline, set an alarm beforehand so it'll buzz so you don't be late. We want to invite them to share more, ask questions. Hey, tell me more about that. Am I hearing you the right way? I think I'm lost. Explain the situation at this part. And then as they share and when they're done, respond with words that help them understand, hey, this guy heard me. So, like, so what you're saying is things are difficult at work because the boss picks on you. We want people to feel felt. And after we've listened, then we can tell our story and connect it to the story of God. And really, this is something anyone can do. Pastor Roland will talk about this more next week. But we can share what our life was like before Christ, how we met him, and what our lives are like now. And of course, there's the P. Salt P. P is tricky, because the P is silent. And the P can go anywhere in the acronym. So it can be PASALT, or SPALT, or SUPALT, or SALT P. The P stands for prayer. And it goes anywhere in the acronym because we should be praying for people at all times. Yesterday, I went to a card show because, you know, trading cards is kind of my hobby right now. And as I'm going there, one, I'm studying my sermon. But two, I'm praying for the card show. And I'm praying for favor and good deals, which God answered. But more importantly, I pray that God would help me connect with people because I'm trying to make more friends so I can share more Jesus. And God answered that prayer too. And then as we meet with people more and more, we can pray for them more and more, and God starts to open up the doors, bars. And God can meet them, and God can lead us. And that's why we want to be SALT, S-A-L-T-P. Start a conversation, ask questions, listen well, Tell your story and pray, 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 and pray some more. So let's invest in our relationships and let's look for opportunities to be salt for people. We can also invest in routine outreaches, a.k.a. fishing spots. We want to find a fishing spot because fishing spots help us establish relationships. Now, what's a fishing spot? Who here fishes? Anybody? <clears throat> Pastor Roland and I was a fisherman. Why do you guys get a fishing spot? That's where the fish are. And you know that if you go there time after time after time, you'll be likely to do well. Manny and I used to go fishing at Lake Mead together. Uh, we haven't done this for a long time because we've have a, we have had a combined total of four daughters since then. So it's a lot harder to do. But we used to have fishing spots. We would go back and forth between a few places, Hemingway Pier and Government Wash, the other side of the lake, my favorite was 33 hole, 
It's also the hardest one to get to because you have to grab all your gear and hike about half a mile down to the spot. And leaving was even harder because you had to hike up the hill. But we went to these fishing spots and we spent time learning them because we knew we would do well over time if we spent our time there. The same is true of engaging, of outreach and evangelism. A fishing spot in the context of engaging people is a routine place, time, activity, or group. These are people that you, ha you have unique access to or unique influence with. And if we invest in our fishing spots, turning them into routine outreaches, then we'll do well over time. That's what I'm trying to do with cards right now. And the Apostle Paul had his own fishing spot. Acts chapter 18, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, when I first read this passage at a very quick pace, I read this part and said, oh, look at that, Paul's going to church. But the second or third time that I read the passage, I realized Paul didn't go to church at the synagogue. The believers met on the first day of the week. Paul was going to the synagogue on the Sabbath to reach Jews. He was looking for people who were looking for the Messiah. The synagogue was his fishing spot. It was his routine outreach. So what could a fishing spot look like for us? Who do you have unique access to or unique influence with? A lot of us can find those groups at work. We were all fired up last week. Did you guys enjoy that discussion last week after Pastor Rowan's sermon? Was that good? Yeah, we're not doing it today. But in my group, I had the great blessing from God to be there with George. George got me fired up because he was telling our group about how he prayed for people at work and people are getting healed. I'm like, bro, come on, man. I'm a horrible Christian. Unique place, unique access, work. Maybe it's a family group that we have unique access to. Maybe it's a group of friends that we see all the time. It could be people who share interests with you. One of the beautiful things that I love about finding these fishing spots, these routine outreaches and relationships, it doesn't necessarily require us to spend additional time. Relationships and routine outreaches are perfect for busy witnesses because we can keep doing the things that we're doing, just doing them more intentionally. We can spend time with the exact same people more intentionally. We can look for opportunities to be salt and start a conversation and ask questions and listen. And as people open up their lives and as people start to share what they're going through, we can tell our stories. Some of you know that I briefly worked for Chase Bank while here in Vegas. Uh, my partnership team was struggling for a bit. I needed to work a part-time job. So I start to work at Chase. And I'm asking God, praying, because it goes everywhere, for opportunities to share Jesus with my coworkers. They don't know what I do. They all know I'm a pastor, and because they know I'm a pastor, they probably don't want to share with me. But one day, I'm hanging out at lunch, and my boss takes lunch at the same time, and she opens up about how her cousin is going through difficulty because her brother's in jail. And then I start to tell my story after I listened after I asked questions about the situation, made it comfortable for her to share, like, hey, you don't have to tell me more, but if you're comfortable, what happened? And she shared more. 
And after listening and affirming her feelings of how stressful that can be and how difficult that is to navigate as a family, then I got to tell my story. Because I know somebody in jail too. So anyway, my, my dad's in jail if you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm telling my story and I have this opportunity to share Jesus. And she's not here in this church, but I got to sow a seed. It's not my job to make everything grow. It's, job, it's God's job to make things grow. Oh, perfect unintentional segue into the next point. Let's ask God for these outreaches, for these relationships and routine outreaches because God is with us while we're on mission for him. God's with us. We have more confidence when we're doing something new or doing something uncomfortable or doing something unfamiliar when we do it with someone who is comfortable, who is familiar, who is adept at a situation. And God is with us while we go out for him. Later on in that passage in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I think the spirit of the Lord wants us to know this morning that God has many in this city who are his people. So do, go on speaking. And don't be afraid because God is with us wherever we go. This echoes Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. The Great Commission, I believe, is accompanied by one of the greatest promises in Scripture. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, nation, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Here's the promise. Surely I am with you always. To the end of the age. The promise has a premise. The premise is go therefore and make disciples of all nations. God is with us. God makes the seed grow. Just like Pastor Roland preached last week. All we can do is plant and scatter seed and then we wait. And that's fine. We wait and we pray and as we pray, God does the work. He does the hard part. God multiplies our natural efforts with supernatural power and they go further than we could ever imagine. So Paul enters Corinth and he invests heavily into this relationship with Priscilla and Aquila. And then they went out with Paul on mission. Acts chapter 18, verse 19. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers in Corinth and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 19, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. Later. But Paul didn't just ditch Priscilla and Aquila. He left them there on mission. Paul engaged them, established them, equipped them to make a difference, and empowered them to make disciples. And Paul left them to continue their trade and continue their business doing the things they would normally do anyway in Ephesus. Brief step back as we look at the story of Paul as a whole. The second most productive place in all of Paul's missionary journeys was Corinth. The most productive place was Ephesians, was Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila were a massive, massive part of that. In fact, historically, we know that Ephesus actually became the largest church in the first century. They reached the entire region. Ephesus became Constantinople. It's a whole other story. But Paul met them in Corinth 
He invested them in them, empowered them to make, a, make disciples in Ephesus, and they started a church in their home. And after this period of faithfulness with God, God causes that investment, that seed, to bear fruit. So now they go from Corinth to Ephesus, and Priscilla and Aquila have made such a big impact that we hear about them in the book of Romans. This is Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5. Greet Prisca. They're, they're homies at this point. This Priscilla, it's a nickname. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. That church in their house is probably the earliest recording of an established church in Ephesus. Paul had come out of one of the busiest seasons in his ministry, and the fruit was limited. The busyness didn't actually build anything. But then he invested in a relationship, and he did many of the same things he would have done anyway. He continued to make tents, continued to find somewhere to sleep at night, but he did it intentionally. He was salt. He prayed. And the investment went further than any of them could have ever imagined. DJ, can you come play the guitar? Thank you, bro. Kind of appropriate that DJ is coming up. Uh, we can see that in our own lives too. That as we invest in relationships, the fruit, the results go further than we could ever imagine. Now, Jerrica and I moved here in January of 2016. Timeline, we get married in May of 2015. We move in to an apartment above John's mom's house. John Hirona's mom's house. Then in a few months, we move out. And we move in with Jerrica's parents. And we made that move because we were preparing to come to Vegas. So we're there with her parents for a couple months, and we move again across the ocean and part of a desert, and we come here to Las Vegas. So here now, we're in January 2016. We settle in for a couple weeks, but then in February of 2016, we're already on a mission trip. We didn't leave. We did a mission trip to UNLV. It was our first ever mission trip here, and I think we have a picture of that team. Do we have them? There we are. You guys recognize the people in the upper right-hand corner, by the way? <laughs> DJ had a lot more hair back then. Of course, Pastor Mark was on that team. So we're there on this missions team, and we go out around the campus, and we have gospel conversations. And you know, it can be difficult to talk to a stranger who's here in college and probably dreaming of the college life about Jesus. So when possible, I'm looking for people with commonalities. Now, not so much now. I wear dad shoes now. But at the time, I was a big sneakerhead. So I'm looking for people with nice shoes on to have a conversation with them. I find a guy, he's wearing a pair of Air Jordan Olympic 6s. Like two people here know what I'm talking about. But for those of you who know, it matters. It matters. So I stop and I'm like, bro, nice kicks. Hey, let's talk about Jesus. No, it's not, not what I say. But it's like, hey. We've got this survey called the God Test. Want to hear what you think about God. So we have this conversation. And he's interested in talking more. But instead of immediately dragging him to church, being like, hey, bro, turn or burn. We just meet him for lunch. Because we need to eat lunch anyway. So I go to Cafe Rio, and I meet this guy with DJ, and we have lunch with him. And that first lunch, by the grace of God, went really well. So the guy wants to meet with me again. We go to another restaurant because you need to eat anyway. 
This one went to skinny fats. Back then, I was skinny. <laughs> Complete the joke for yourself. So the second meeting goes well. And he's like, you know what? These people are not super weird. I'm going to introduce my girlfriend to them. So Jarek and I go on a double date with him and his girlfriend. And we wanted to try something called a bazooki anyway. So we met at BJ's Restaurant and Brewery. And after we connect over bazookis, the girlfriend realizes, hey, they're not that weird. Maybe a little. But they're not that bad. Let's go to church. So they finally came to church. And as they came to church, they got connected and other people began to invest in them heavily. And you know them. Because they did welcome together today. Here's a picture of us at our first service. The first time they ever came to church. And now, yes, he leads our youth ministry. And Chris leads the tech team. And he's up there right now putting the picture up himself. What's up, bro? By the way, he's still got a sneaker game. Did you see the Yeezys on today? We had gone through a series of three moves and a marriage and a move to Vegas. And we were on a mission trip. And Jericho's not a full-time minister. We're busy. But we at least knew to invest in relationships. And by the grace of God, that investment has gone further than we could have ever imagined. And it's still going. And we can look across this room and tell that story in its own way again and again and again. And we're going to keep telling it because that's who God has called us to be. All we did was continue to do things we already do. It's intentionally salt, prayed for people. And then we had lunch. It's perfect for busy witnesses. Because most of us here, we want to be witnesses for Jesus. But busyness is a barrier. So let's take whatever time we have and let's invest it in the things that produce the greatest return. Relationships, routine outreach. And God will take our investment and stretch it further than we could ever possibly imagine. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you empower us to be witnesses. Lord, it's not all up to us, but you want to include us in this great mission to change lives in a way that lasts forever. So Lord, help us. Help us, God, to be witnesses for you. Show us the routine outreach, the fishing spot opportunities that we can have. Help us to form relationships. Help us to be salt. And as we go forward in faith, looking to be witnesses intentionally, even if it's just doing the things we already do, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, who makes us witnesses, Lord, that you would take our efforts further than we ever could on our own. Lord, that the people around us that we pray for on a regular basis, and that as we start to pray for them on a regular basis, their lives would start to change, their stories would start to open up, and Lord God, you would inject yourself into those stories and change the course of their lives forever. God, in this moment, we make ourselves available. And if that's you this morning, if you want to make yourself available for God with whatever time you've got, whatever opportunity you've got, even in faith, not knowing what your opportunities look like yet, would you just raise your hand with me? My hand's up. I got to get better at this. I'm looking to get better at this. God, everyone here, 
deciding to be intentional in faith with relationships, fishing spots. Lord, help us. Help us to invest our time in places that produce the greatest return. Lord, I even pray for opportunities to come this week. Be with us, Holy Spirit, as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.